As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games, as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Adam Volker, current creative director at Flight School. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Adam. How are you? I'm really good. Today's a good day. Good to hear. Uh, we're talking, I mean, it's early in the week for you. Um, <laughs> yes. sure, um, yeah, that's right. It's Tuesday. Yeah. The week is young. The week is uh, young. Big plans, I assume. Yeah. Um, oh, I mean, I can't help but notice a Nintendo 64 in the background. So any, any oh, time you, know, you can spend on that over the course of the week, that's, that's, a, that's a good week. I just realized that like, I should have checked to see if there's any NDA stuff in the camera, but there's not, so it's fine. <laughs> Darry, we're not recording video, and I'll keep my lips sealed. All, if the, all the art, actually, in the next project is here behind. You're the, facing it. Yes. Yeah. Look, um, if you want to swing that webcam around at some point, I won't <laughs> yeah, object. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, keeping yourself very busy, then working on a new project, which is exciting. Yes, I am. Like we literally rolled right off of Creature in the Well onto this next thing. Um, it's been something Bo and I have been actually incubating for. Oh man, like a year, but, uh, you know, like real lightly kind of like throwing some things back and forth and had a prototype and all that, but yeah, we rolled right into it. So we, there's no, no sleep, no, no, no breaks. And maybe before the episode is out, you'll spoil the name. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to people in the development scene from all over the industry. Uh, they share their stories, their experiences, and a little bit about how, they got to the point that they're, they're currently at. Now, Adam, before we dive into the current days and things like Creature in the Well and TBD and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> um, let's rewind back to the very beginning. What was your first gaming experience like that you recall as a player or even observer oh, of games? Oh, man. Um, yeah, we're winding all the way back. back. All the way back. <coughs> um, the one that sticks with me the most, and I don't know if it's the first or was playing uh, Super Mario World on the Super Nintendo, uh, which was the first console I had, not the first console I played on, but the first one I had, um, with my dad. So he got really into Super Mario with me, uh, going through the worlds and, like, all the different secrets and stuff on that game was was awesome. And then we rolled rolled that right into um, A Link to the Past and made me a Zelda fan for life. For life, like a... Yeah, unapologetic. Like, it's in my DNA. Can't can't look the other way. Zelda fan. <laughs> no, that it sounds like you and I you know, brought up in a very sort of era, uh, similar era with very mm. similar games. Yeah. Um, for me, it was it wasn't Super Mario World. It was it was All Stars. You know, the collection mm. that had one, two, three. Um, yeah. And I know in some regions it had World as well, but not in my one. But anyway. Um, and then yeah, Zelda as well. So yeah, it sounds like we're cut from a very similar cloth in that sure. in that respect. Um, were there any kind of other prominent titles that kind of emerged over, I guess, your your development as you grew up? Yeah, I the the first time I played Halo was a big one. Oh yeah, okay. Combat Evolved. Like I remember thinking that like 
the enemies were intelligent in a way that no other game had done that before. You threw a grenade at an elite and it rolled out of the way, and I was like, "What? It dodged my grenade!" And we yeah, also were funneling towards you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And we were playing tournaments with that, so we found out that you could hook up Xboxes together and then play tournaments. And we would have people over for like LAN parties were big, so yep. I was going to play a lot of uh, at a friend's house, going to play a lot of uh, Warcraft three. And uh, and DDR and StarCraft, a lot of RTS competitive landing where, you, you know, you had to have a, a computer yep. that you could take with you. Um, it's also where, like, you traded all the music and stuff that all your friends had. Everyone was passing around zip drives of things at those land oh, parties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I know the sort. Back before, like, I guess it was, like, Napster time. What was that, a LimeWire? Napster and LimeWire. And, the golden uh, age is what you're trying to say. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> And uh, yeah, with the dial-ups, and uh, and so yeah, trading over flash drives at those parties was a big thing. It was a big thing. But Warcraft three was huge, and I played in high school. I played, um, you know, like the original Dota, and I thought it was horrible because everyone was so mean. And um, a lot of like Hero Siege and those mods. Yeah. Okay. Um, Halo, and then on the Nintendo side, we're still playing Smash and Ocarina and all that sort of stuff. Uh, those were all like those were the big games in high school. Were you one of those? So obviously, and and again, even your story up to this point still sounds very similar to myself. Now I didn't latch onto Halo, but I latched onto a lot of the stuff that PlayStation was doing at the time. Um, and having been a kind of from day one Nintendo fan, did, yeah. did you manage to like as Halo and presumably some of those other IP are starting to pop up over the journey? Um, a lot of people tend to then kind of switch their focus a little bit and kind of hone in on that stuff because it's classified as more mature, quote unquote, than what Nintendo was doing. Did you still kind of maintain that love of Nintendo throughout? So as we're starting to see Halo 2 and 3 and you know whatever other IP that you were kind of attaching yourself to, Nintendo's obviously releasing the GameCube and Wind Waker and all those sorts of things. Were you still hanging on to that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a bit of a, like, wanted to wanted to be a man super fast, and so I did, <laughs> yeah, like, I did do that for a few years. Um, I think I was playing, like, Quest 64. And, oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I did, I did have an Xbox on 360 for a long time. Uh, and then, I, it, like, when I went to college, people just, like, had the other consoles. So I was playing Wind Waker, and I was playing um, oh, good. Spider-Man 2, a um, lot of Burnout, tons of Burnout, yep. Takedown. That game was so good. So, so, so good. <laughs> um, and uh, some other things like that. But, I, I, you know, kind of like gaming was always around. And I went to an art school, so, like the main track for people uh, in the 3D animation program, the illustration program was concept art or animation for films and games. And so it kind of stuck with me as like an option, a career option, yeah. um, which is why I felt like m maybe I played it a lot more than, um, you know, someone else who was trying to join the regular adult world uh, and, yeah, not, and not play games as much. <laughs> was there a, a game at all that kind of put you on the path towards game development, like something that, and maybe it's a game that you've already mentioned, but was there, was there a moment where you've gone, this is, this is what I want to do. And it was maybe spurred on by a particular game or was it just the culmination of lots of experiences? For sure. No, I would, I would give it, uh, I remember this moment really vividly cause it was an accident, but it really set me on a path when it was Warcraft three. So I was applying to colleges and I was playing, I was wasting a lot of time in high school, but applying <laughs> to colleges 
And I applied, my mother wanted me to apply to art school because I was always drawing, always, always drawing. Yep. And so um, I did, and I applied at Ringling in Florida, and uh, Ringling College of Art and Design, and for their animation degree, and I didn't get in. And so I got this phone call that was kind of like, we can put you on the wait list, but you're not in the animation program. And I was like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, and I literally was, I took the call while I was playing a Warcraft 3 game. Uh on the landline in my house. And um, again, the golden days, as we said. The golden days. <laughs> to like run down and get the phone and like, yes, this is Adam. Um, uh, <laughs> from my from my room. And so she was like, you know, but we'd be willing to offer you uh, a position or whatever the word is. Like, you know, we'd accept you to any of the other programs. And I was like, well, what are the other programs for? Can I work on games? It's literally what I said, I think because I was staring at the screen. And yeah. she was like, yeah, well, our graphics, uh, graphic and interactive communications major, which is just graphic design, um, does like HUDs for gaming and stuff. So I was looking at the Warcraft 3 HUD, you know, where you have like the, pro the little yeah. picture yeah, of your one. character and, you know, the abilities and all that stuff. And I was like, cool, yeah, sign me up. And so I was like, thanks, bye. And I went back to my game. And it was a smart choice because I, at Ringling, like met a, bunch of people hugely influential in my life um in my artistic growth and i switched majors to the one i should have been in, in the first place but like it was like this stupid i mean it was 8 17 like i don't know what i'm supposed to be doing like i'm not ready to make any like real decisions um uh, but i did yeah. and um and so i i think warcraft 3 was was probably like instrumental in the path that i ended up on um oh good I mean, I was just—I was in love with the game, just in just uh, as a player. But then, like when I found, when I saw it as a career track, it became look at it through different. a different lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, obviously, you then got into the studies and all that sort of thing. Um, did that side of it really click with you? The you know the more academic side of it, or was it more? Were you always more just driven to just get in there, get hands on, just get to to doing? I, I suppose. Um. I'm, yeah, I'm really academic in my artistic approach, and I yeah. like learned a lot at school uh, about taking your craft seriously. I I was kind of like the only kid in my high school that drew, so I never was really challenged to grow much at it. Everyone thought I was great at it, and I wasn't. But they were like, no one else drew, so I was the only person there. I mean, that's a I, handy leg up straight away. Yeah, and when I got to Ringling. It was like everybody at that college was the kid who drew at their high school, All and right. a lot of them, a lot of them were way better at it than me, and they they're still actually better at it than me. And so when I was when I couldn't coast anymore, I was like, oh shit, I need to, I need to really take this seriously. And I luckily found a group of people that I was able to do that with and we all held each other up and held each other accountable and push each other to grow oh that's great and so it was really rad and it was super healthy and um you know made lifelong friends doing that and sort of just practicing our craft together um no real bumps on the road there through the course no kind of wanes and dips in motivation you you know it was it was really i mean you, you spoke about how you're quite academic um yeah your approach so i assume that probably really gelled with you now burnout real yeah like no no real serious like burnout until work till like the, the uh second half of my education or you know like the career part everyone would always yeah. say like you you know you cut your teeth learning to draw figures and like painting and like literally mixing oil paints and like color theory and light and all this sort of stuff and then like then you have to apply it and you find that 
the foundational skills you have aren't you know one to one. You need to adapt them and you develop new processes and stuff. Um, but no, at school it was just the mountain of things to learn was so big that like it was just exciting and um, just I just had a really healthy community. It was great. Yeah, that that's I think a really handy thing. I mean, you're you're talking to a teacher right now, and oh, okay. um, some of my some of my favorite groups that I've had over the journey. Now I teach maths; it's slightly different, um, but. Uh, when when you've got that really collegiate sort of approach amongst all the students in the room, everyone benefits from it. Whereas if you've kind of got a lot of people working in as islands, yep. I suppose it makes the uh, the the challenge for them a lot greater, and by extension, myself as yeah. the teacher, a lot more difficult as well. So I could, uh, that's that's fantastic to hear that you had such a great dynamic um, in in the room with you. Yeah, and it's and funny you surround because yourself these, with good people. These friends like were not. I think one of the, the coolest parts about it is that these friends are not all game developers now. One of them lives in Atlanta and she makes um, fabric and textiles. Uh, yep. A couple of them ended up being children's book illustrators. One of oh, them, right. one of them works uh, sort of like designing spaces for um, clothing boutiques and stuff. Like some of them are in games, um, and they're all over the world. So it's what's really cool is just like how we were talking about creativity and. Uh, art a little more abstractly um, and letting each of us sort of pursue it the way you know it made sense to us yep now as we kind of move into your career itself um, you began doing some concept art and that was at EA a bit of time at Bioware there also midway over the course of those first two (laughs) to three years Um, what was that like Uh, you know you're working as an intern there for a period Um, how was that as as you kind of described before you were beginning to cut your teeth a little bit yeah so it's a super weird and rocky early start in the industry. Um, so, I, yeah, I had an internship at Yates Tiburon uh, in Maitland, Florida, Orlando, Florida, uh, while I was still at school. And it was cool, um, but it was, like, not really for me because they make Madden there. They make NCAA. I think they might make FIFA. Yeah, okay. But it's, like, as a concept artist, like, what are you going to do, you know? Um, not really, like, a lot of need for concept art on Madden every year. Yeah, I'd imagine that when you're looking to create something that's more of a simulation, yeah, the the design flair kind of mm-hmm. evaporates somewhat. And so it was cool as a it was actually a really great first job because obviously EA being so large, their internship program is a well oiled machine. They have like yep. events and they like get you in front of devs and everyone. There's like teaching courses throughout the week and they take you bowling and they put you up in an apartment and like it it feels like it's you know Pepper. it's really nice. Um, but I was kind of like, this obvi- This isn't really the spot for me to work. Um, and when I graduated after that, I took a bunch of interviews, but nobody called me back. And I really, oh, I kind of yeah. was really um, crestfallen by it. Um, and then a buddy of mine who was working in Austin uh, was like, hey, I got a job um, and we need an artist. Do you want to move? And I was like, yeah. And, I would and that'd be me. the old Republic, right? With uh, just before that. So it was. Oh, just before that. So I, yeah, again, I made some really dumb choices when I started. Um, my buddy worked at Midway, and so he's like, "Come to Midway," oh, yeah, and okay. I was like, "Cool." I drove from Minneapolis to Austin, super hyped, starting a job at Midway, Austin. There was about three hundred people there working on a game called Criminal, and, and then I was on a smaller team uh, uh, for like a medieval brawler game. I don't even know what's happened to these titles at this point. So I was there for two weeks, and then Midway started to lay people off, and um, they let go of all their temporary employees, closed a few studios, canceled a few games, 
and canceled criminals. So like 200 people got let go and I was like, oh crap. But I was an intern again. So I got like a, this is embarrassing to tell you in this much detail because like- I'm, Oh no, I, no, no. I mean, the, these are the ebbs and flows of yeah. industry. Like these things happen. And so, sometimes you just land in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes yeah. you land on the, you know, the, at the right place at the right time. Yeah. That's how it happens sometimes. Um, so yeah, two weeks into my career, got laid off. My other, I was staying on my buddy's couch, the same guy who got me in the door midway, and his other roommate worked at Bioware and was like, well, we need a contractor. So I was like, cool, met, met the team there. They obviously knew about the layoffs at midway. They're like, we, you know, help however we can. I got hired on to the Old Republic, the MMO, and just had a blast for like uh, six weeks, maybe two months, maybe a little longer doing you know Jabba's throne and like just star wars shit like a huge star wars fan yeah so um control panels who wouldn't want to do that right yeah who would say what i said who wouldn't want to do that yeah Yeah, beginning of their career they're working on star wars great no kidding right um but there was like midway was still kind of limping along and my ad was still calling me like hey hey we want you to come back i want to give you a raise i want to make you a full-time employee and i stupidly was like yeah i think i do want to do that because I was on my buddy's couch, still working. I was working remotely, and Bioware was, at, while being an incredible team and a great job of really high caliber artists, I felt like yeah. for my first job I wanted to be in a building with a team. So I went back not, to Midway. not to mention that you know there's the lure of you know what they're referring to as full time employment and those sort of things, and that also makes a big difference too, like that security that comes with it. For sure. Um, so I went back to Midway, um, and a bunch of things happened at once. My art director at Midway was like, yeah, Bioware just called me. They lost a contractor, and I think I'm going to go over there. And I was like, that was mean. No, <laughs> don't do it. So he left. And then, and then a few, I know, right? And then a few months later, the entirety of Midway Corporation shut down. Chicago, they had a Newcastle, England studio. They had a, they had a studio in San Diego. Like, there's, they just kaput, like totally gone. So I, I was too embarrassed to like go crawling back to my AD at um, Bioware, who's now, who's like, we've kept in touch over the years, a really great friend of mine. But um, I was just like, my ego was too bruised and I felt super stupid and I didn't ask him for my job back. So I ended up just abandoning my um, rent cancellation check, which they hunted me down for later because I didn't have any money. Yeah. Um, and I had to move to Louisiana. I ended up moving like states and just like just uh, like leaving Austin, which I was in love with. It's a killer town. Anyway, yeah, I've, heard, like I've really spoken sh- to a few people over the journey, and you know, I've heard really, really good things about the place. <clears throat> yeah, and might need to vi- might need to visit myself at some point. You should. You, you definitely should. Great barbecue, great people. Um, but yeah, no, like totally upset, really tragic. Um, and I got disenfranchised with the industry really quickly. <laughs> Um, because I, I made some dumb decisions, I shouldn't. Have, I should have just stuck it out at Bioware. I guess. I guess you know it was one of those things where if the contract position goes well, they you'll bring you on full time. Um, I don't know. Like I still had buddies there. I don't know, yeah. Whatever. Hindsight. But, but there are like like I said before, there there are ifs associated with that. A contract doesn't guarantee you anything. Yeah. Um, or yeah. contract work doesn't guarantee you anything. If someone's saying we've got full time employment for you, that that rings certain bells there. And again, that security one is probably chief amongst those so yeah. I, don't, I don't necessarily blame you it's unfortunate how it worked out but i don't blame you at all yeah and in 2008 like studios were closing like i, I remember ensemble and dallas was closing and thq and like it was just it was kind of the the time like a lot yeah. of stuff was a lot of stuff was changing in games game development 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, as people refer to, like, the, mid- the mid-tier was kind of dropping out as, as yeah. it was kind of dis- as described by some at the time. Yeah. Um, but you spoke about kind of being a bit disenfranchised with the industry at that point, and you made a little bit of a sidestep there. Uh, Howdy Inc., you were working on it. Uh, you were illustrating for uh, Man in the Moon. Yes, I went digging through your I was going to say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, which linked in with uh, Rise of the Guardians a little bit. But uh, yeah. So, obviously, we kind of know the, the how, ultimately, that kind of came about but how did you find your way into that space um at that stage right so i had one of those interviews that didn't pan out um was a guy in dallas named brandon oldenburg he worked at a company who still sort of does i'm sure we'll come we'll come back around to it but he worked at a company called real effects uh in dallas and yep. they, they made feature films he knew a guy in louisiana named bill joyce who is a children's book author slash film animated film guru um and needed help on his next book and i needed a job so i moved and i took it and that was technically how to ink usually when i tell the story i just talk about moonbot which is what it turned into which was yes. an animation yeah, so i do have i do have that listed coming up as well so <laughs> But Howdy Inc. was when Bill and Brandon had not yet started Moonbox Studios. So they were talking about starting a short film company and doing it in Louisiana and sort of tax credits and like where did they get investment from and all that. But um, at the time it was just painting, literally painting acrylics for children's books. And it was Bill and I and one other guy. And that lasted, you know, maybe a year. Um, I wasn't super happy because I didn't like Shreveport. It's... I built, we built, we ended up building a community there um, that I love and people that are very dear to me. But at the time it was very lonely and I was by myself and I was 20, yeah. 21 and I was like, I'm, I miss Austin. Um, and that's part of what I say. I think when I say disenfranchised, cause I went from somewhere, I was really happy on a track that was really clear and laid out to a place yeah. that I wasn't happy and I didn't know where I was going to be. And I wasn't sure how long I was going to be there. And it just, yeah. Felt a bit aimless for a while. For sure. For sure. Um, but like, ultimately, you come to enjoy that time though, as as, tr- as things transitioned into Moonbot, and yeah, um, you were working in various different capacities in in that era of the the business as well. Yeah, well, um, so we started by making more or less more. Do you know much about that project? Uh, not especially, no. Okay, so Morris Lesmore was, or it's actually called the Fantastic Flying Books of Mister Morris Lesmore. Um, was the short film that that Bill and Brandon wanted to co-direct to start the studio with. And um, I was like, sure, I need a job. I still need a job. And they're like, we're starting a studio. I'm like, great. And we ended up going back to Ringling and hiring the entire crew, which was like 15 to 20 totally new recent graduates. And I ended up art directing that movie, working on story and all this sort of stuff. And we built the studio with it, an incredible space in the middle of Shreveport, which is like not a town known for animation. And um, and that was in like 2010, 2011. And then that short film, the very first project went on to win an Academy Award for best short not film. Not a bad starting place. Yeah. And so we were over the moon, you know, we were As like, would be. yeah, like, wow, uh, what? And, you know, so coming from like, you know, that pit of, uh like unemployment to sort of the top of our short film game was very uh was an exhilarating ride um and then we were kind of off like after that we we did this incredible uh short film with miniatures for chipotle called the scarecrow um we did a bunch of apps like the ipad is coming out 
we made more accessible into a children's book, which was like a New York Times bestseller. Yep. Like all this sorts of stuff came out of that project. Um, you were on fire at the time. I know we were, um, which was weird because you know it's like if your first project wins an Academy Award, you're like, shit, can we, can we do that again? <laughs> where do we, where do we go from here? <laughs> yeah, like what if we, what if we never do as well as that again? Um, would that be okay? Uh, so that was a weird, a weird creative conundrum to have at like 25. Um, but then, so one of the head of the technical department on that film, his name is Bo, he usually sits, who is out playing ping pong, I think, but he sits right there. Him oh, and I have been working together nice. since that moment. And we oh, great. Started, um, started a games, quote unquote, games division. And the first thing we worked on was a Wonder Book game for PlayStation 3 with Sony London. Yep. Yeah, you if you if you did your digging and you know you know where where I'm going, my beats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've I've got a few of those dot points there, um, and I've, Wonderbook was was one of those. Yeah. Um, how, how was that? Because obviously that was a, you know, the concept itself, the the it was a peripheral to the PS3 there. Um, so your de- similar similar story to what people talk about when they're developing for VR today. Mm. Um, you're you're developing for a market within a market. Um, yeah, which narrows your potential audience straight out the gate. Now you're not necessarily making it for the audience and necessarily ridiculous sales. You, usually these things are passion projects, and and you know because there's there's a love of whatever it is you're making. But um, does that place any sort of extra pressure on yourself at all? Do or do you feel like there's extra pressure on yourself because in some respects you're you, yeah you are developing for a market within a market which limits the potential audience and there's still bottom lines and all those sort of things that go on in the background? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a really good question, but I don't think we were asking it. <laughs> we were just kind of trying to break into gaming and trying to... Gaming's weird when you're, when you're sort of on the creative creation side of ideas. Um, getting momentum and funding, the key, the key to being able to make things is being able to pay for them to get made. Um, is like... You, you're not going to get money until you've got a track record. So it's a catch-22. Yep. So actually, Sony approached us to make Diggs Nightcrawler because of the Morris Lessmore iPad app. And yep. when they showed us the uh, Wonder Book, it was kind of, it was like, there's something here, but it's not, it needed to be like Generation 2 for it to really have staying power. Yeah, I understand. And so we were like, this is cool. And they paid us to make it. And we were like, this is cool. We'll do it. Um, I mean, unfortunately, like in towards the end of development of Digs, like the PS4 got announced. And so to talk about your sort of market share thing, it's like PS3 owners have to buy a bunch of new peripherals and don't maybe they have a PSI, maybe they don't have the camera. Um, maybe they're interested in this, maybe they aren't, but like they're probably just gonna wait four more months and spend that money on a PlayStation 4. And yeah. so it was. It was kind of dead on arrival. They, there were two other Harry Potter games that got made, but then they canceled the Wonder Book right after that. Um, they didn't sell the Dig Nightcrawler in the states uh, phys- as a physical copy, so you could. Which hurts a bit. Which is hard because you needed to actually buy the thing to get the book, Wonder Book and the whatever, whatever, whatever with it. So like, yeah. you know, it just it was tough. It was really tough. That kind of didn't take off <laughs> let's let's put it that way didn't take off in the way we had hoped um but still was an absolute joy to make um yeah i mean that's at the end of the day there's still that the creative side to it ignoring all the finances and all the sales and any of that sort of stuff there's there's the creative aspect to it and if you're enjoying that yeah. um 
I mean, it still helps when uh, Sony is offering the support there. Like, yes. you know, financially, it keeps it keeps you going anyway. Yeah. So you got to create something that you really enjoyed, and that's that's fantastic. It wasn't bad to go to London two or three times for a week. You know, like that was worth the development. Yeah, it's a great place. <laughs> it's a lovely town. Um, no, and so yeah, like it, it didn't. I was hoping it would be more of a launching pad for what the time at the time we were calling Moonbot Interactive. But it, it wasn't. Yep. Um, uh, and so we ended up doing a lot of other work for higher stuff. Uh, we ended up, yeah, until, let's see. Well, I don't know. I'll let you, I'll let you ask the next segue question before I just keep rambling. No, 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 no please. Uh, like, talk about some of those different projects and okay. some of those things that were up and down over the journey. That's not an issue at all. No, so we... the, the next, next transition I had was towards flight school and everything okay, okay. in that respect. So, so. Uh, so yeah, like, <coughs> we worked on... We tried for a while making free-to-play games, and it turns out we were much too generous with our <laughs> uh, with our design. What's the word to say? Like our free-to-play monetization strategy was much too yeah. generous. So we made a game that was really addicting that we had like over a million players playing and nobody spending any money. Um, oh, yeah, that's a challenge. Uh, which was called Lollipop Three. We made some small things that were like you know 60k budget, like or less. Um, things called moon beeps, uh, which didn't sell quite as as much as we'd hoped, but we, we tried that. And then we actually pitched and sold the game to um, Sony Santa Monica. Um, and then just got... this little studio, no one's no one's really heard too much yeah, about. Yeah, right. Just... Well, they had a third party team that they don't have anymore. Um, yeah. A lot of their team has gone to Annapurna, but um, yeah. Uh, we were working with them for a while, and then it just like I just don't think the game was really coming together the way it needed to. Um, and at the time, I was like, "What? What? What's wrong with it?" And now we we replayed the build, the prototype, a couple maybe last year, and it was like, "Oh yeah, this isn't." This is I can see why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was hindsight's kind of, great like that. Oh, for sure. And that was kind of right at the end of Moonbot. So like, um, the company was sort of the partners weren't getting along. I don't know how much I should say about that publicly, but like it, it just no, no, was, that's, that's it was fun. the end of, it was the end of the time for Moonbot. Like it was, you know, I've been in Shreveport for eight years and um, we had a really good run, but like we couldn't quite like create, transition the business from work for hire stuff into like IP creation and the different mediums we were trying to get into and, um, and that, and it just kind of fizzled out. Uh, and as that was happening, the, sort of like right at the end of it, the flight school stuff, the flight school conversation started to happen. Yeah. And, and so how did that begin to develop? So it was kind of, it was kind of like as one wave falls, another wave rises type of thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it was like, you know, uh, a lot of our employees ended up going to a company in Florida called Magic Leap, the augmented, yep. the augmented reality laser beam glasses company. Um, and I think most of them, most of what's left of Moonbot is still there in different, some form or another. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the other biggest chunk at the time, uh, some of the leadership, some of some other folks in different departments ended up going to Dallas and with real effects I think emerging VR group started combined, you know, sort of half and half and created what is flight school. Um, and then uh, some other people from about went to different places. Yeah, people people scatter a little. People bit. scatter. Yeah, when when the layoffs start happening. <laughs> and so then I was and then I was like, oh shit, am I cursed? Like, are the only companies that I work at are they all gonna 
<laughs> they're they, shutting down. Are they all going <laughs> to shut down? Um, uh, yeah, it's done a number on Let's me. Let's touch wood and assume that that's not going to be the case here. Yeah, I hope so. Um, uh, but obviously, yeah, flight school was was born at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, upon the the construction, I guess, of the the studio, did you already have um, project ideas in mind, or was it okay? We're going to form a studio, and now it's done. Now let's put our heads together and get to it. Or you re- there was already a seed of an idea taking place, which I guess ultimately <coughs> became Creature in the Well. No, no, actually, it wasn't like. Um... And Creature was actually the second or third thing we made. Oh, yeah, true. Um, yeah, sorry, good point. But uh, no, so it was kind of it was kind of like a list of priorities, right? Like, where's my rent and my student loan debt going to paycheck going to come from? And that was yeah, that was like first flight school. Like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to be based out of? Like, who's who's actually on board and, and what's it going to be called? And then once we you know hit the ground running, I think it's 2017. Um, it was like, what are we going to make? And then we ended up making Manifest 99, which was the VR sort of storytelling thing. At the time, like we thought yep. Flight School was going to be a lot more VR oriented. I think the momentum in VR was still still existed. Um, people were still spending money on it. And, um, and so we made a few things doing that. And we made Island Time, which was a, which is kind of like an arcade VR game. And then Manifest, which is more like a story driven thing, like back sort of back to back in that first year and a half or whatever. I have to say, like when I was when I was doing my my digging um, beforehand and a little bit you know a little bit of extra research, um, I did you know come across Island Time there, and instantly bells went off. I mean, uh, like I I knew I'd seen I knew I'd seen the crab before. Yeah, <laughs> it just, Carl. It, it just clicked straight away, and it, it, it eventually, oh, hang on, same same team. Like I managed to pull a few of those threads together. That was that was a nice little thrill, just you know behind behind the scenes there on my sort of processes but uh it was it was kind of cool to see that yeah, you had a hand in that one yeah yeah so you know i on time is actually a prototype that the team developed um and the fun the comedy of it comes from uh particularly a developer named alessandro who's still at uh flight school in dallas um but they needed someone to sort of lead the project and so that's kind of where i came in but like really quick turnaround really quick dev it was really fun to work on and i, I think players are still out there playing it um but yeah, that's where that's where that all came from. And then, so then, what happened was, uh, the, our parent company, which we actually mentioned earlier in our story, Real Effects, yep. um, was opening, uh, got a, a few contracts to make some feature films, which I don't think I can say the names of because I'm not sure what. No, that's fine. I don't. Not a problem. I don't remember. I'm not because because they're like they're all right there and all right out there making movies and stuff being again cool. we can just turn that camera. yeah just turn it <laughs> um but uh they were opening that contract two big films they were going to open a studio in canada in montreal where there's tax credits and there's a different there's a workforce and those sort of things um yeah and so we were kind of like let's piggyback off the back of that and so Bo and i moved up to montreal 2018 mm, is that right yeah yeah it's 2020 now yep yeah. <laughs> only just but yeah uh, well yeah always at the beginning of the year it gets confusing right um oh yeah no 100 percent. so we moved up here in 2018 and we sort of just put our desk in the corner and started making creature so that's when we that's when we really started creature in the well um we we prototyped it and sort of like pitched the idea in dallas and we were like we'd like to move up there we'd like to you know 
principally focused on development of games. We think Flight School could do really well in the gaming space and the more traditional gaming space, not just in VR. And uh, our bosses were like, cool, go give it a go. We, our budget was really, really small. Our timeline was really short. And, um, and so it was kind of like they gave us a shot. And that's what and brought yet us up here. The, the project came out incredibly well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And well, like I said, um, Bo and I have been working together since Moonbot, so like about eight or nine years. Um, I mean, that's a handy dynamic to bring to a you know brand new project, you, um, that established relationship. You know how you both work, yeah. all those sorts of things. It's really handy. Yeah, and he's on the tech side and I'm on the creative side. So, you know, it was kind of like, what can the two of us tackle? What sort of skills do I need to learn? You know, do we need to learn to get us across the finish line? But we try to design creature to our skill set and not and not just like pick the most ambitious, crazy thing we can make, but pick something yeah. that was practical, but also, you know, right on the edge of our of our knowledge, so we could rise to it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, you, you can identify the constraints and you you work within those. That's um, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> like I said, I'm super it's academic great. with my creativity. Right? It's very it's very production oriented. Yeah. Yeah. So, in terms of creature itself, now one of the first things that struck me when I when I first caught sight of the game, ooh, I can't even think about how long ago now it was it was first introduced. Was it? It would have been. Was it last? Was it last year? Or did it creep into the beginning? Uh, Towards no, late so 2018 we when we first heard about it. We announced creature at GDC in 2019. Yeah. Okay. At the so and yeah. I cer- I certainly remember kind of. Uh, watching when it when it was first introduced and instantly that art style kind of caught my eye now when i did a bit of digging through uh, you know doing my research into you beforehand i came across a very very expansive uh, portfolio of work on your instagram account oh um and like that that art style that we see in creature really shines through in a lot of your work that you've done prior and even some of the stuff that we see that you see pop up since as well um clearly that that particular art style is something that really i don't know clicks with you i suppose yeah so it's probably from ringling but like you know big sort of graphic novel and comic book fan as you can see from yeah. behind me um yeah, yeah i can see and when few. we were starting creature um it was actually based on a, another co-worker's piece of art uh, a friend named jake wyatt he had done like a promotional piece for flight school and i was like i'd love to make a game that looked like that and then as we tried to we sort of started to add a bit other bits of my own stuff and ideas to the gumbo of the style. And then when I was one day, I, I don't know, I was reading or something. I was like, oh, Mike Mignola, the Hellboy stuff, um, kind of clicked it for me, helped me sort of organize like the way the visuals were going to come together and um, sort of a really strong touchstone for the project. And a lot of it was because of our approach like like i said it's very practical production oriented and we knew we were setting the game inside of a mountain and so we were gonna have a lot of darkness and instead of like trying to fill the darkness with models and animation and stuff we're like well let's just go to black and mike mignola's hellboy work is just so full of like those really inky dark and ominous spaces and so i was like this is a really good fit um and it became a, a much larger touchstone for the style of the project is it, is it a style without trying to put you in a position here? Given that I know you've got your art and whatnot on the on the wall, right. that I can't see. Um, is is that a, in any capacity? Is that a style that you'd like to return to in in some capacity with 
subsequent games, whether they're creature in the world related or not. Right. Not, <laughs> not, not trying. Not try, I'm really not trying to put you in. No, I understand. Is that, I understand. Is that like fine. a style that you'd like to um, continue to utilize? Um, so in he, some capacity. Yeah. So I think our next game is going to be creatures style 2.0. Um, yeah. Inevitably, we're going to build on like the technical tools that Bo has made, and I'm going to try. I've got another really, really big artistic touchstone for the next project, which is not visually similar to Hellboy at all. But I, I yeah. think like I think it, the answer is both yes, both yes and no. Like creatively, I don't want to just stay in one place visually. So like I as yeah, an artist, course. as an artist, I'd always want to try to be like pushing stuff, trying new things. But then. I think we're we're gonna build off the back of the tools we've developed. So there's gonna be a lot of creature in our next title, whether we want to or not. I think we're gonna have to work to try to really make it look different because uh, just the process may be the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So both. So that <laughs> yeah yeah. So that's fair. So then, and I know you 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 main focus on the the art side of things but i'm sure you still had a big hand in mm. um in how systemically things worked uh the a lot of people kind of again caught their eye because of the the pinball sort of stylings of the game um how did that kind of emerge how did that idea build up yeah so um when bo and i were prototyping in dallas about what we were going to make i think we we sort of have decided, and this is a philosophy we're going to retain as we keep making stuff, that like we don't want to go up against the AAA developers in so that we wouldn't want to make a game that's being made by hundreds of incredibly talented artists as two people. And so yeah. I think we felt like we had to find a way to set ourselves apart mechanically and visually so that like it, we just you know we weren't trying to play that game. And so yeah, I understand. when we were prototyping stuff, it's kind of like I play because we're always playing stuff. I played a little bit of this and I wish it was, I wish it had this element. And do you think we could put this to get into that? And we literally just kind of push things together until we find something that's fun. And we had like a, a shmup prototype. We had a Simon, yeah, okay. a Simon Says prototype. And we had this sort of, this what became creature pinball game. And we were like, this one actually feels the most, like we can see the game the easiest. And yeah, okay. um, we were doing a lot of play testing at the studio and it was getting the best response from the team. And so we're like, this probably has the most potential and then developed it from there. And then everything was piece by piece. So it's like, okay, there's a, is it breakout or pinball? Okay, do the blocks, what do the blocks look like? Okay, now that they're machines, is there a bigger machine they're part of? Where's that machine? It's in a mountain. Why is it in a mountain? Oh, there's a desert. You know, like all of that stuff sort of yeah. one piece at a time came together and created the game. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it's just a weird sort of like you start with a, a spark and then you test it and then you add a piece or you take it away and you keep doing that until you ship. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it, it works incredibly well. Um the, the game is fantastic to play. It, obviously, as we've already kind of discussed, it looks um, great. Uh, it's it's just this perfect amalgamation of a few different ideas, and it sounds like it really was this amalgamation of different ideas. You're pulling on different threads from different sources and yeah. and put, putting things together to see what what works and what doesn't. I think it's a it's a great approach to design in all respects. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we're trying to do that again on 
next uh, project too. Um, and I think like it's it's exciting to me to think about like trying to set a a game design brand for flight school as like different weird stuff that you might not have played before. Um, yep. And so I, I just think it's more fun for us to do that than it is to like mimic an RPG system that exists and try to make, you know, I don't know, a Dragon Age or a Final Fantasy game that like isn't going to look the same as what Square's doing or what Bioware is doing. And, you know, I, I don't know. Just kind of No, like, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, then the question from a consumer standpoint is, well, okay, but what is this game doing that would make me pick it over yes. the established IP that I know and or love? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that is a big challenge for people that kind of are, pro- are, are trying to enter that particular space. But when the ideas are flowing, like we you know we see in the case of flight school and what led to creature in the well i think uh you're both on the the perfect perfect path there i hope so yeah and i very much look forward to seeing whatever comes <laughs> next yeah so as we begin to wind things down a little bit and we, i think we've touched on this a smidge anyway um who who inspires you in this in this business i, I mean being in art i assume it's not just people from the from the games industry that would would do that. I mean, you spoke about your time in your studies and how you were surrounded by people that, you know, some people going to games, but others were going here and others were going here and others were going here. So you've got so many different threads that you can draw upon there. Yeah. Um, is there anyone out there within the games industry or not that really kind of inspires you and your, your approach? Obviously we've spoken about a couple examples along the way. Yeah. But, um, I think, I think there are two or three friends from Shreveport come to mind. Um, and it's mostly it, it's it's not inspiration in the traditional sense of like I love the way they the art they make, but kind of in the the approach to creativity. Yep. Because um, obviously, like it, I would I could name like the comic books that are on the desk right now, um, but I feel like I would always it always just would be like what I'm into this week, and it might change you know the week before the week after. Yeah, I understand. Um, but there's like I mentioned a guy named Jake Wyatt who. Uh, is sort of in TV, film animation, and then in comic books. And then uh, yep. another person named Arthur Mintz who is making puppet stuff. It's just like probably the most interesting creative endeavor happening that I know of right now. And he's real cagey about sharing. So if you look up Swaybox Studios, you probably won't find anything. But as soon as they start to share what they're working on, it's I just think it's super revolutionary. Those two, oh, fantastic. Those two guys. Go to it. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I said fantastic. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, those two guys were, are still, are when I can get their attention. Um, <laughs> uh, and we're in Shreveport, like really, really influential people in um, sort of like how I approach project creativity management um, process uh, yep. and that sort of stuff. And and they were always really eager to get into arguments and debates about it. And so I feel like as far as like creating the person and like the approaches and stuff that I have now, those two um, super influential, obviously Bo, um, like him and I really, really vibe. Um, and then there's just, yeah, there's just too many creators to name. Like God, it's not even worth picking up the books and, and wave them around because no, I understand, you know, this week it's, Akira. But I, mean, I think that's one of the great things about this yeah. industry is that there's so many, I mean, the industry itself is informed by so many other forms of media as is that you can there's so especially then being on the art side of it there's there's so many 
different sources and people that you can you can look at and look at what they're doing and look at what they produce that can really inform what you're doing or at least just inspire your approach um so it's i mean i've asked that question of people on the the art side a few times and i get very similar answers because there are so many avenues i guess for inspiration along the way yeah like my wife and i are playing greece right now um and like it's phenomenally beautiful phenomenally beautiful and quiet we use it to like end our evening and it's like such a meditative game like i had a that but you know this year was full of incredible games like sekiro was a huge i'm a huge souls fan um cyanar wild hearts was i think one of like the most important gaming experiences of the year for me um i don't know just like it's there's too many to name and as soon as you start to you're like oh i left you know feel like i left this one out that one out um but yeah Yeah, it's a guilt trip that comes with it (laughs) so much inspiration to draw from you've kind of like curation is becoming more important to me than anything else right um because you don't have enough time to do everything and so you need to have people help you select what you're what's really going to matter to you not even the best of but like just kind of what's gonna what's gonna be useful for me where i'm at in my life and my career and what art i need to experience um, so any particularly valuable lessons that you've kind of picked up along the way, whether it's from, you know, some of the colleagues you've worked with or, or whatever? I think that the one that I frequently forget that I need to post it on my monitor is about process that I've learned and continuing to use it. I think I get really, yeah. I get really comfortable in like being able to draw and then getting frustrated when the drawings that are coming out aren't, aren't exactly what they need to be forgetting that like yeah. it takes iteration and it takes time and it t- you have to go big to small and you have to, I, I frequently forget that. I, I can see the idea in my head and I want to get to it really quickly. Um, and when it doesn't come like that, I'm like, why? I feel like, you know, I'm doing something wrong when I just need to like go back to the grindstone and put in the hours and find it, you know, figure it out. That's fair. Um, what have been some of those big challenges that you've encountered or is that, you know, one of them for yourself is actually, you know, maintaining that, um, that process. I think, um, yeah, I think that's a really, that is a really good challenge. I think building a team and a culture is, is a really, really difficult thing to do. Um, and super, super, super important. Um, you know, like when a development team is, is healthy and likes to share and like has their roles defined and knows how they complement each other, it's a much better space to work in than, when yeah. a lot of people are trying to do the same thing or they have different ideas that they're not resolved about parts of the game. Um, yes. I think like, you know, you, you end up with a very different product at the end. You know how like when you go to a movie or you play a game, you're like, the developers had fun making this. You could tell. Yeah, you can usually tell, yeah. Yeah, it's it's that sort of thing. I think like we're, we're starting to add people to flight school up here and it's been really kind of a grueling process of like making sure we select the candidate because it's going from two to three people and so that third person really needs to fit in you know oh yeah 100 percent. and um and as we grow there's a cultural aspect to everything as well huge huge and as we grow it'll be a little easier to like put a new ingredient into the soup and like have it not influence it as much but right now it's like that first person this first second or third person really got to really got to get it it's it's really critical for the culture of the studio and not and then obviously um even the projects that have been being incubated within the studio as well yeah so yeah that makes sense um any particular highlights or you know really treasured memories along the way you're having that rough day and uh there's something that you can kind of always hang on to that 
you know, sticks out as a real highlight from the journey? Uh, blah, 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 blah. The, whether it's the launch of Creature, when yeah. it was first revealed in the reception. Well, well, I mean, when it was first revealed prior, in the Nindies at GC. Academy Awards. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Academy Awards feel like further and further and further away every time I think about them. Um, but when we announced Creature at the Nintendo Direct, that was a huge moment. Because we, we were also part of the Indie Mega Booth. But like we yeah. we couldn't reveal the game at Mega Booth until the Direct had gone live, and Nintendo was being kind of aloof about when it was actually airing. They're like, you know, in we don't see the cut; we just send them the footage, and they're like, we don't know if you're in the beginning or the end, it. or you know. So that yeah. was really fun and dramatic. Um, we were part of the Xbox press conference at E3. That was huge. Yep, got to be in the audience for that. That was huge, and, and just and Creature was kind of the first project I think Bo and I made together that was like really everything we wanted it to be um some of the other things along the way like i didn't plan on working in short films but it was fun i didn't plan on making a wonder book game but it was fun and creature was the first time where like from zero to finish we like this is exactly what we wish we could make and we did yes and that's very satisfying it's really satisfying he he <laughs> turned to me a couple months ago and he was like dude because the game came out in september he was like we did it and i was like shit you're right we did. We we achieved the goal we had set way back in Moonbot. We finally did it, and now it's like, oh crap, we have to set a new goal. And we, you know, we've been really going for that for years, and to finally f- deliver it was uh, was like a sneakily satisfying feeling. Because it was. But then also to restart again, as you as you said, you know, set a new goal. Yeah. So there's a little bit of oh, yeah. how do we do this again? What? Yeah, right. <laughs> going back to square and it wasn't one. even like the day we shipped either. It was kind of like. A, couple weeks or a month after we're like oh we did it we did it people are playing it it's out there that was cool that was really cool it's fantastic um now one quick one more question about that particular game before i jump into the last very kind of creative open-ended one um i know a few people that are exclusively playstation players yes and the and creature in the well is not at least as of yet available on that platform are there any plans i'm sure you're not going to be able to tell me anything specific but are there any plans at all for that game to come across at some point i don't know what i'm allowed to say about that (laughs) that's okay i won't i won't put any more heat on you i'll leave you right which should give you enough of a hint about you know the answer to your question but yeah i can't there's a desire even if it can or cannot happen yes i yeah i can't um that's news understood that i can't talk about (laughs) Uh, und- completely understood so getting away from that okay. without putting any more heat on you at all there um very open-ended question here if there was any one game that you could work on you could retroactively add yourself into the credits Ooh. having been a part of that project what would it be Ooh. and anything through the entire annals of gaming history man that's that's a really tough question uh, and do you mean Hell no, I, I okay. Well, so hell, hell, you could even be just you could even just get uh, special thanks if that's all if that's well, all you, you know. How sometimes, be. like, you have a hobby and you really like something, and then when you take it seriously as a career, some of the magic goes away. I wondered if, like, it meant that I was on the development team and I saw all the other things the project was, and and I didn't get the just experiences as a player because I would I would answer Ocarina because that's like a game that probably, yeah, I you know think about, I was still playing it right. It's behind me. Um, replaying it, replaying it. But like, I wonder if it would still mean as much to me if I'd been able to be part of the development of it. Let, let's assume that they had all that fun and um, 
it was perfect the entire uh, there was all that enjoyment that we were talking about just before let's assume that uh, nintendo was having all that at the time that's what i would that's um, what i would do i would like i you know when i was a kid i got the gold cartridge and yeah. you know i had the the nintendo power and all that sort of stuff do you have it with you yeah, uh, it's it's not far away. I think it's going to be out of reach, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I do I do have it floating around. So that would be the game for sure. Uh, that's that's a very solid choice. Now, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the show today and sharing your story. Um, I've really appreciated listening to it and hearing some of the ins and outs and a few more specifics because there's only so much I can get from kind of trawling through sure. through LinkedIn or or other parts of the internet. Uh, there's there's certain things you can only glean from hearing it from the from the horse's mouth itself. So thank you very much for for sharing your story in that respect. I'm sure the the listeners have really enjoyed it as well. Um, if the listeners themselves were looking to follow up more on what you're doing, uh, learn more about Project 2, um, or just get in touch with you via social media, where would they be best to go? So you can follow the studio at on Twitter at Flight School HQ. Uh, you can follow yep. Bo and I on Twitter. He's at Bowden, B-O-H-D-O-N, and I am at a Volkertron on Twitter. That's probably the best place to... It's a, it's a great Twitter to. handle. Thanks. Actually, that's one of those friends from Ringling gave me, gave me that nickname, and I've just used it since 2008, so... Um, not, I'm not actually as creative as it sounds, as I am, as I am appearing to be. <laughs> I mean, uh, establishing Twitter handles are very different, oh, to, I, yeah. uh, very different beast to the, the sort of creative stuff that you do. So yeah. I, <laughs> there's a way with words that comes with that and an edginess sometimes that's required that, that moments of inspiration hit people at different times. That's no, um, as I said, thank you very much for, for coming aboard. Um, and listeners if there's if you want to learn anything more about adam or the team or what's next you just gave you the details there so be sure to check all those out and you'll be able to keep in touch but as i said thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing your story of course thanks for having me and listeners as always thank you very much for listening i'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Adam's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.